well, I don't want to hammer on a dead horse. There are a few things that you have to grasp if you're going to understand the book of Galatians. And in the past, when we did the book of Galatians, I would spend weeks covering them before I ever read the first first verse of the book. But this time I decided to cover them as they arise. The first of those we found in verses 6 and 7 of the first chapter. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Messiah and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And so here's what Paul is fighting against. He's fighting against those who would not just distort the gospel, but they're actually preaching a gospel that is no gospel at all, an entirely different gospel. So much so that he actually says they're, divert, they're deserting the one who called you. In other words, they're deserting the Messiah and the Father. We know that because Yeshua says this in John chapter 6 and verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And so no one comes to the Yeshua and the good news unless the Father draws him, calls him. And so they are deserting the one who called them for a gospel that is no gospel at all. On the other hand, the gospel that Paul preached, the one that he learned not from man, but from Messiah Yeshua, he told us that in verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Messiah Yeshua. And so Paul, in the first chapter, really plays a trump card here. He says of the gospel he preached that he received it by divine revelation. And we only need to read Acts chapter 9 to know that that's true. The gospel that is no gospel at all was given by the sages. As we're going to see in a moment. But first... Just what was the gospel that Paul preached? Well, it's really summed up for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received. That Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Kephas and then to the twelve. So this is the simple gospel. God sent his son. He died for our sins, rising again, and because of our faith in him, we rise with him. Now, the result of Messiah dying for our sins and being raised, he stated in verse 3. He says this. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And so the result is the Galatians have been rescued from this present evil age and made part of the coming age of the Messianic kingdom or as the Jewish people would say the world to come. In other words, they've been rescued from sin, sickness, impurity of this age so that they can be a part of God's kingdom, have fellowship with the king and his people. And if we go to Romans, we find out just how simple it is to become part of all of this wonderful good news. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do to inherit this Wonderful promise, the world to come, be healed, be made clean, is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Yeshua is Lord. And that really sums up what Paul believes and the good news he preaches. And yes, it's a bit of a summation. And yes, it implies that by making Yeshua Lord, there will be a change in the way you live out your life. But this is the essence of what the gospel is. And so when Paul says, I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Messiah and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel. This is what he sees the people turning away from. And in the process of turning away from Messiah and God, they're turning away from the love of God for pleasing men. How is this happening? Well, notice that he says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. You see, this is really the crux of the matter for Paul. And this is what has him so irate. They are turning away from God and putting their trust in something other than the Messiah. And the good news that he secured for all who trust him. And they do it by trusting in something else. What is the something else? Well, Paul sums it up for us in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. He says, It is for freedom that Messiah has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Messiah will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole Torah, the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Messiah. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the spirit of righteousness for which we hope. For in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You entered into the kingdom. You received the love of God and the salvation of God because you trusted in Messiah Yeshua alone. 
Nothing that you did, but only trusting in what he did. So now that you have arrived and you're in right standing with God. But then if you trust in something else or someone else, then you've been alienated from Messiah Yeshua. Do you see what he's saying? You've turned away from God. So the other good news that is no good at, good news at all is to allow yourself to be circumcised. And you read this, and if you don't understand what Paul meant by circumcision, you'd be dumbfounded. How could a simple act like circumcision be that important? Think about it. Do you mean that all non-Jews who at birth were circumcised by their parents for medical reasons, now Messiah is no value to them at all? Well, of course not. Not any more than being sprinkled as a baby saves you. But it really has nothing to do with the act of circumcision. It has to do with trusting in that act and everything else that that act entails. And so what does it mean? Well, last week I told you that when Paul says circumcision... He means much more than cutting the foreskin. And I want to cover as completely as I can the other good news for you today. So as we read on, you'll understand what he's so upset about. Because he is upset. And what it has to do, it has to do with trusting and what you trust in. I want to cover it again because there seemed to be some confusion last week. And I want to cover it again because there's nothing new under the sun. It's still happening today. Let's begin by saying again, when Paul says circumcision, he means much more than cutting a little skin. Circumcision is his quick way of saying the entire conversion process into Judaism. And here's the deal. We spoke of it earlier. The rabbis know and teach that all Israel has a share in the world to come. Even Shaul said that. Paul said that. They also, by tradition, know that Gentiles' access to God is limited. You see, since they were children and went up to the temple, they saw the dividing wall around the temple that kept the Gentiles away from the purity of the inner courts, lest the Gentiles defile those courts. So the rabbis teach that unless a Gentile converts, he has no share in the world to come. He can't draw near to God. Even God's temple teaches that. So how does a non-Jew become part of the world to come? How does he become part of the community of Israel? How does he cleanse himself from impurity so as not to be allowed, so as to be allowed in the temple of God? Well, there was by tradition a way. The sages had some good news for the non-Jew. They had read the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 15 says this. Everyone who is native born must do these things in this way when he brings an offering made by fire as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. For generations to come, whenever an alien or anyone else living among you presents an offering made by fire as an aroma pleasing to the Lord, he must do exactly as you do. The community is to have the same rules for you and the alien living among you. This is a lasting ordinance for generations to come. You and the alien shall be the same before the Lord. The same laws and regulations apply to you both to the alien, and to the alien living among you. Apply to you both. They looked at this and they said, well, the good news is a Gentile can be grafted into Israel, but he must convert to be the same as we are. 
Then he has to, then he has a share in the world to come. Then he can enter into the inner courts of the temple. If he lives as we do, we can certainly have fellowship with him because we know that there'll be no impurity in his life any longer. And if we go to the Jewish encyclopedia, it tells you exactly how they decided to do that. We've covered it, but I wanted to show you some texts to to prove it. It says, for the law that the proselyte and the native Israelite should be treated alike, the inference was drawn that circumcision, a bath of purification, and sacrifice were prerequisites for conversion. The sacrifice was to be an olah behemah, but to lessen the hardship of an offering of fowls was accepted as sufficient. So, of course, now the Jewish encyclopedia assumes that they've also learned the law of Moses and the traditions of the people regarding those laws. So when Paul says circumcision, this is what he's talking about. This is what he's referencing. Learn Torah, the oral Torah of the Jewish people. Go through the public conversion, allowing yourself to be circumcised, then immersed, and then go to the temple and offer an olah or a burnt offering, as we call it. Of course, if you lived uh, uh, far away from the temple or later when the temple was destroyed, then it was just a gift of money that was substituted for the offering. But after this, you were said and you were considered to be a son of Abraham, part of the community. And that was the other good news that Paul says is no good news at all. Why did he say it was no good news at all? Well, where does that leave you? Where does that process leave you? Well, it makes you part of the Jewish people, makes you part of the community, part of the Jewish people. But ask yourself, is there any promise in Numbers chapter 15 of a share in the world to come? Is there any talk of eternal life? Is there anywhere in the Torah? And by that, I mean the commands of the Torah that promise you life in the coming age or eternal life. No, there's not. So you can convert, you can keep the commands, you can go to the temple, you can be a part of the Jewish community, but without Messiah, it leaves you standing before the judge condemned and excluded from the age to come. You may be part of the Jewish community, but I'm afraid you do not have a share in the world to come without Messiah. Because Paul said, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Yeshua said this in John chapter 6 and verse 35. Then Yeshua declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father will, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The point being, there's no offer of eternal life or the world to come without Yeshua. None. That's what makes the gospel so offensive to Paul. The other gospel so offensive to Paul. 
He knows that it is not good news because there's no life that is life within that gospel. And so you've turned away from the gift and the love of God and put your trust in something other than Yeshua. Do we all get that now? And as I said, there's nothing new under the sun either. Look at the teachings of this world today. Think about it. I watch non-Jews saved and they come into the Messianic community. They start to read their Bibles and they read the wonderful promises given to the Jewish people in this life if they follow God and keep his commands. They read words like this of Paul in Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles come in. So that all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and turn godliness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as the election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs for God's gifts and his calls are irrevocable. You see, they start to read stuff like that. And what do they do? They start to covet Oh, isn't that wonderful? They start to wish they were Jewish. And then they hear a teacher like Jim Staley, Ed Chumney, Monty Judah tell them that they're one of the lost tribes of Israel. And that sends them scurrying about to find out what tribe they're from. These teachers want to tell you things like, if you're British, it's because you're one of the people of the covenant. British comes from the word Brit in Hebrew, or the word for covenant. That means you're a son of the covenant. You're British. And it's because you're one of the lost tribes. The problem is, British doesn't come from the word Brit. Any dictionary will tell you that. (laughs) So people, the point is, people begin to put their trust in being one of the lost tribes instead of one of the called of God and found in Yeshua. One of the lost tribes Instead of one from the nation that will be blessed through the son of Abraham. That will be blessed because of Yeshua's sacrifice. You see, it's the same thing Paul is upset about. But they're coming from a slightly different angle. The two house people usher in the back door, but the result is the same. In Paul's day, the rabbi said, if you're a Gentile, you must be circumcised, keep Torah as a Jew, and in general convert. The two house people say, oh, you're one of the lost tribes. So you should circumcise yourself and be part of because you're part of Israel and the Torah commands all Israel should. And you should keep all the commands as a native born Israelite. So in general, they're telling you, you need to convert. You see, the result is the same. You put your faith, your trust in something other than Messiah Yeshua. And if you want to know why I get up so upset with two-house theology, it's the same reason Paul is so upset with his other gospel. It's the same thing. Just wearing a different coat. People start to look to other things rather than the only king. If they truly understood the good news that Yeshua loves them and saved them and rescued them, just as they are, and it's the same for both Jew and non-Jew, they wouldn't care if their grandparents 50 generations removed was Jewish or not. Or one of the lost tribes. If you put your trust in anything other than Yeshua, you're going to end up standing before the judge one day naked without an advocate. 
You know, there's another teaching out there that's worse than that one. This is what I call the worst of the worst. And these people are teaching that the Jewish people don't need Yeshua because they have promises from God apart from Yeshua. That's even worse because now you're not going to witness to the Jewish people because they're Jewish. And Yeshua just told us, Paul just told us, there's no difference between Jew and non-Jew. You're going to fail in what every believer is called to do, to win souls like Abraham did, like we heard in the commentary. To be a light to the world. But they think they have another savior. It's their ethnicity. That is baloney. I hate to tell you folks, it's sad that most people don't even understand the good news. I think it's so sad that people turn to people like Chumney and Staley and Monty Judah to learn from these men who don't even know the good news themselves. Why would you want to learn from somebody like that? Who hasn't got the basics down? All of these things are baloney and they're distractions from the truth that there's only one way of salvation and right standing with God and that's to trust in the redemptive work of Yeshua the Messiah. Nothing else matters. And if you trust in anything else except believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Messiah died for our sins according to Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, you're going to have a real problem on that day because you've left the one who called you. And so Paul says, in verse 10, he says, Now, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Messiah. Now, of course, he's speaking of himself, but, you know, he's really turning the table here. And the first way he do, does this is that the Galatians are leaving the gospel for the approval of men, to be accepted by men. You don't need the approval of men. You don't need to convert to Judaism. You don't need to be one of the lost tribes. Because as Isaiah said in chapter 56 in verse 6, he says, And foreigners, who are the foreigners? Who bind themselves to the Lord and serve Him, to love the name of the Lord and worship Him, who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And give them joy in my house of prayer. And their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Bind yourself to the Lord. Serve Him. And you're in, folks. And it's the same for Jew and non-Jew. All you need to do is accept Yeshua and be joined to Him. Because when you accept Yeshua, you are joined to Him. As Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her clothes of fine linen, bright and clean. For fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Put your trust in Him and Him alone and you'll be joined in marriage to the Messiah. And you'll enter into the house of prayer for the Jewish people alone. Right? Wrong. The text said all nations, Israel, France, Ireland, South Africa, China, Japan, and on and on and on, all nations. How many is all? All. Oh. Okay, so now I think you've got the gravity of the situation here for Paul. He's upset. And you also know why I get upset with the garbage on the internet. 
So verse 10 says, let me read it again. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Messiah. See, the other way he's turning the table on them is probably one of the arguments they're bringing against Paul is evidently that Paul is teaching of the inclusion of the non-Jews that is just Paul, uh, Paul trying to gather disciples unto him and trying to please them. They're saying that he's destroying the commands of God, the holiness of God and his people for the sake of numbers, disciples. And we can easily see why that would be taught by these influencers. You have them telling the non-Jews, hey, you got to be converted in this traditional process, which includes the very painful process of circumcision. Painful in more ways than one, because as I mentioned before, not only is it painful physically, but there's also the pain that you're going to suffer by being ostracized by your family. And in the days of Paul, the Roman government. And so they're insisting on conversion, but Paul is saying, not so. And so he's being con- accused of making it easy for non-Jews to, en- to enter into the covenant. Making it easy by not requiring them to follow the way that the sages said you need to be grafted into Israel. He's being accused of telling them they're part of the covenant community through faith alone. Not because it's true, but because he's trying to win their approval and just gather more disciples. Making it easy to be part of the community. Think about it, it would be popular. I mean, if you got one guy over here telling you you need to be circumcised, you got somebody over here telling you, no you don't. Right? And so the accusation is that he's passing the tough rulings of the fathers and the traditions of the fathers to please the Greeks and win disciples. And to that he says, if I were trying to please men, I would not be Messiah's servant. Did Yeshua please men? Paul didn't please men either. They were not men pleasers. The fact is that Paul used to be a man pleaser. But he's gone from being that bright star in rising in Judaism and pleasing his peers to someone who needs to be dealt with by the very Sanhedrin and the high priest who sent him out to persecute the church. Right? He's teaching against many of the traditions of the fathers. And to all the Galatians, he says this in verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Messiah Yeshua. Again, he tells them that the nature, the nature of his call and his message is, is a revelation from God. It's a direct revelation from the Messiah. That is good news and nothing else is good news at all. And yes, it bypasses the tough regulations of the fathers. That's part of why it's good news. Amen? And yes, it is a gospel that doesn't include circumcision for entrance into the covenant because entrance is and always will be by the grace of God. And no, it's not that I want disciples for myself. It's the message from God. This is good news. And anything else is bad news. It's the very thing that Isaiah spoke of when he says, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
The fact is, Paul is saying anything else is not good news, but it's the same old centuries-old tradition. And that's what Messiah set us free from. He set us free from this yoke of slavery. Do you want to again be put under that yoke of slavery, he's saying? They're trying to put on what Yeshua spoke of in Matthew chapter 23. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Paul is saying you're leaving the grace of God for a heavy load, a yoke. It's why the council of Jerusalem will later decide in Acts chapter 15 and verse 9. He made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our forefathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Yeshua that we are saved just as they are. You see, the apostles understood the gospel. They knew that God accepted the non-Jew as they were. And neither they nor themselves need to put on this yoke, this heavy burden of the fathers. Because after all, it was never good enough anyway. Yeshua told us that in his very first sermon on the mount. He said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So now we know why Paul is upset. They're turning from the salvation of God to something Yeshua said is not good enough. The only righteousness that's going to see you to the world to come is that which is found in trusting in the redemptive work of Yeshua and trusting in it alone. 